to welcome it to a warm bit of host with Julius Junius Stancardo Stanton. Face is Professor Griff. You're listening to Junius. Ricardo Stanton, straight up, we're teaching you all those things you need to know from the neck up, alright? We're definitely doing a checkup from the neck up. This is Professor Griffin, Public Enemy, the ex-minister. I'm out. Peace. Welcome to Akoben. Akoben is an Andinkra word and symbol for the war horn, an instrument made from an animal's horn that makes a unique and distinct sound that the traditional villagers use to call for alertness assembly preparation and in extreme cases mobilization we sound the Akoben routinely to alert you to differing perspectives introduce you to intriguing ideas and interesting personalities that you would not normally find in the corporatist and monopoly digital media we encourage you to stay tuned we'll be right back following this message and your meditative moment my name is Junius Ricardo Stanton. Greetings to the Internet Radio family. This is Reverend Valentine speaking. You know, for nearly 30 years, I have had the distinct experience of being interviewed over every medium of communication available to the public. And except for the metaphysical underground, I can think of no other electronic venue that has been more progressive, more innovative, more insightful, more diligent, more diverse in its demographics, and more courageously supportive of the truth than this ever-growing phenomenon called Internet Radio. And this is precisely why I'm here to tell you that it is so vital that you give your wholehearted support to it. Tell a friend. In fact, tell two, three, and four of your friends. If you are a business owner, support Internet Radio by telling your customers and constituents all about it. Let them know that there is a legitimate and important substitute to all of the prefabricated, super-censored garbage polluting our public airways today. Don't allow the mass media to continue to treat you like a mindless consumer drone. Enhance your awareness. Indulge your critical thinking, your reasoning, and your analysis. Do as I do. Log on, listen in, and then let it be known all about your internet radio experience. Chimatep, beloved family, thank you for listening. Walk in light. This is a meditative, relaxing moment with Junius Ricardo Stanton encouraging you to relax. Let your shoulders drop naturally, normally. Breathe in through your nose. Take a deep breath. Let your abdomen expand. Relax. Hold it for a count of five, four, three, two, one. Exhale, let your abdomen sink in. Relax, take a deep breath. Inhale, 
Let your abdomen expand. Hold it. Five, four, three, two, one. Exhale softly. Relax. Monitor your thoughts. Don't resist what you see, the images. Relax. Focus on your breathing. Inhale deep. Let your abdomen expand. Hold it. Five, four, three, two, one. Exhale. Relax. Continue to monitor your breathing. Focus only on your breathing. Relax. Let the tension flow outward from you. Inhale. Fully, fully expand your abdomen. Fill your lungs with life-giving oxygen and air. Hold it. Five, four, three, two, one. Exhale. Relax, relax, relax. Perk up and be prepared to resume your day in an extremely relaxed state of mind, being, and health. Till next time, stay strong and stay healthy. Shattering the Matrix. And as I indicated, welcome to another edition of Akoben, the Warhorn with Junius Ricardo Stanton. Today we're going to share a recent piece that I wrote, and you can find it in several blogs and websites uh, that I contribute to in newspaper. It's called What a Week. The week of September 5th, 2021 was quite a week. People in the Southeast, Mid-Atlantic, and Northeast regions were still reeling from the devastating impact of Hurricane Ida the week before. Heavy rains, flooding, tornadoes, major property and infrastructural damage have left physical scars across the landscape. Damages are reporting and, and reported in the billions of dollars, and recovery will take months. The psychological and emotional impact may take even longer to mend. On Monday, September 6th, Americans had a holiday, a day off called Labor Day, that was created to honor the struggles and triumphs of workers for better working conditions, higher wages, benefits, shorter working hours, and fair treatment by the management and ownership class. These struggles to improve working conditions and a better work environment were bloody, violent, and protracted. Unions became a force to be reckoned with, both economically and politically. Many men, women, and children lost their lives and suffered grievous losses to bring about the progress and benefits workers currently enjoy. But today, through the relentless efforts of the ruling oligarchy, unions and organized labor have been 
under persistent attack for several decades. There was a time Labor Day was a major holiday featuring parades, speeches, and the kickoff for major political campaigns following a summer hiatus. But this past Monday, like many past Labor Days for most people, was just another day off, totally devoid of significance and meaning. Last week, we saw amplification of the fallout from the withdrawal of U.S. and NATO troops from Afghanistan after 20 years of war and occupation. This was America's longest-running war, a war with little to show for the loss of U.S. allied and innocent Afghanistan civilian lives, U.S. public treasure, and dubious geostrategic objectives. Political partisanship and rancor over the way U.S. troops and citizens departed reminded many of the way U.S. troops left Vietnam after another failed imperial misadventure in Southeast Asia. It was a painful reminder of the realities of, of imperial overreach. The politicians who launched this war told the American people they were invading Afghanistan to go after the perpetrators of the 9-11 attacks. But even if you believe the official government narrative, and I don't, the truth is the hijackers, air quotes, were Saudi and Egyptian nationals, not Afghani citizens. The fact of the matter is the home base of Islamic fanaticism is not Afghanistan. It's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is where Wahhabism originated and branched out. Osama bin Laden was a Saudi Wahhabist. Wahhabist fanatics maintained recruiting and training grounds in Saudi Arabia and around the world. Why didn't the U.S. go after them? President Biden, facing intense criticism from his Afghanistan withdrawal, needed to redeem himself, so he ramped up the Great Reset agenda by establishing his COVID vaccination plan. Biden came into office claiming he was going to conquer COVID. Alas, he has not. His mass mandates for government employees, his goal to vaccinate the nation by July 4th, which failed, have not resulted in the eradication of the virus. New variants have supposedly sprung up as almost all coronaviruses do, think the common cold, flu, and inf influenza. While it appears to be more contagious, the Delta variant is not as lethal despite the fear-mongering by the media. Biden wants everyone, regardless of immunity status, to get the jabs, which is problematic in so many levels. Biden talking tough is not going to make this go away. Neither is ignoring or disregarding long-standing realities such as herd immunity, natural antibody resistance, and healthy immune system. Nor will policies that are unconstitutional, potentially damaging to businesses, and divisive going to resolve this situation. What we will see is a hardening of those lines, psychological and ideological silos forming, more partisan infighting, and the possibility of more violent confrontations among Americans. Like the global war on terror, the government declared wars on drugs, crime, and poverty have been dismal failures. The only surefire thing that ever comes out of these wars, quote-unquote, is expanded government control, increased government spending to enrich select segments of the oligarchy, like the military industrial and prison industrial complexes and big pharma, but more suffering on our part. When the Taliban first took over Afghanistan, they shut down the opium farms and trade. When the U.S. forced them out, the opium trade magically ballooned exponentially. Afghanistan reveals the futility of the misguided conflict. Drug abuse is rampant, spurred by the invigorated opium trade and recently from the hollowing out of the U.S. economy due to globalization and currently from the emotional trauma, economic and social devastation caused by the government's policies supposedly to mitigate the COVID pandemic. The wealth gap has increased exponentially during the pandemic. 
billionaires became richer overnight, while more and more working Americans are sinking deeper into poverty, unable to make ends meet. The government programs are an attempt to bribe the people and to go along with the government's program. Soon they will use these very benefits, the bribes, to induce compliance and conformity. If you fail to obey, they will snatch, suspend, or reduce your benefits. Speaking of the war on terror, Saturday marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The ruling class and their government and media sycophants told us 9-11 changed everything, and it has. The aftermath of 9-11 wrought major changes in U.S. life. More surveillance, more government intervention, and an increasing loss of civil protections and freedom. The USA Patriot Act was written way before 9-11 even happened. You can check that out at www.globalissues.org forward slash article forward slash 342 forward slash the USA Patriot Act was planned before 9-11. The National Defense Authorization Act make it okay for a U.S. president to order extrajudicial killings of U.S. citizens and to lock us up without cause or due process. For anyone willing to open their eyes and think critically, last week was really revealing. And it's ironic that uh, last week marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and you also had the fallout from the, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And again, there's a whole case to be made against the government for disinformation, for propaganda, and for lies. The whole notion of invading Afghanistan was supposedly to go after Osama bin Laden. Supposedly the Taliban were giving him a safe place and a safe haven. The truth of the matter is that Osama bin Laden was a sick man. He repeatedly maintained he had nothing to do with it. And the pictures that we saw over the years of Osama bin Laden, he all looked different. And when you scrutinize the pictures, he all always looked younger and younger. The fact of the matter is he had renal failure and he was disconnected with his uh, family and from his family and from their fortune. Like I said in my piece, he was a Wahhabist and he was a, a staunch fundamentalist. Wahhabism is a really fanatical arm of, I don't even want to call it Islam. They're using Islam as a cover and to put their stamp on a certain way of living and way of life that even condones the killing of other Muslims if they don't go along with their program. So you can see Wahhabism is an extreme element. And the base of Wahhabism is Saudi Arabia. Of course, the United States is not going to go in and bomb and invade Saudi Arabia because that would set off some major problems with the relationship with the oil-producing partnership there and the royal family. The royal family has coddled and supported Wahhabism since its beginning hundreds of years ago. But that's something we're not told about, we're not informed about, and the so-called intelligence services in the United States and the West don't even talk about it. In addition to the war on terror, which was based on lies. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. There was also a launching of other wars that took place and targeted Islamic nations, places like Sudan, Syria, Yemen. There are proxy wars or these privatized wars going on even in Africa, generally centering on nations that ha have a, an Islamic base or Islamic leadership. Like I said, uh, Sudan, which they 
separated. It was the largest country in, in Africa that's been split in two. Uh, we found out from General Wesley Clark that that was a plan. It had nothing to do with America being attacked. It had nothing to do with 9-11. This was just a plan to launch the new American empire to ramp up the imperial misadventures, what I call them, of the American empire. And we're reaping what we sow. There are consequences to everything. People just have a disconnect. We're just not used to using our mind. And we've been conditioned not to be critical thinkers, not to just examine things and not to be analysts. Uh, Dr. Ama Muzama calls it cognitive hiatus. When you're disconnected from your own consciousness and experiences, things that you know, but you act as if you don't know, or you disregard your own experiences and operate and do things in ways that run counter to your own history and oftentimes your best interests. And that's what we're seeing now, particularly as this country ramps up and you have the vaccine mandates, which are going to create even more tension, more divisiveness in the country. And you had Joe Biden, who basically blamed people who don't have the inoculations for COVID or the spread of COVID, which is preposterous. When when you look at the figures, there's a significant number of people who are getting COVID who've already been fully vaxxed or they might have had one shot. So how does something that's supposed to be safe, effective and free, how can somebody who doesn't have protection infect someone who has protection? And so people go for the okie doke. They don't ask the questions. They don't say anything. They don't recognize that they're being gaslighted and that they're being made that uh, some of these policies are going to make people scapegoats. People don't realize that they've changed the narrative time after time after time. We're going into almost two years of this. First of all, they said children weren't at risk. Now they want to vaccinate children as young as two years old. There's so many things that happen. The spokespeople, Fauci and people from the CDC and the World Health Organization and Johns Hopkins basically are part of this elaborate scheme to get people fully vaccinated all around the world. And of course, it comes out of the Rockefeller Gates move for eugenics and depopulation. And all you have to do is do some serious research and you'll you'll see the connection. Now, can you see the full puzzle? No, there are major pieces missing. But when you look at the influence of money and stop and think about this, a billion is a thousand millions. So if you're dealing with people who are multi-billionaires, they have enough money to influence public policy, media, politicians, corporations, particularly when you're looking at not only do you have individual billionaires, but you also have entities like BlackRock and Vanguard and I forgot the other one that control almost all of the investment of the Western world, or at least in in the United States. So these people who have control over the shares can influence corporate policy. So if they're working in collusion or cooperation, they could very easily dictate policy. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this group of people who have no connection to us in terms of government, have no connection to us in terms of do they care about us, 
setting policy. And it's interesting that two years ago, almost uh, Gallup, the polling company and the survey company did a survey and they do an annual survey on the most trusted and least trusted entities in our culture. Back then, I think it was 2018, the pharmaceutical industry was the least trusted entity in the company. They were ranked lower than the politicians and lower than the media, primarily because of the opioid crisis, because of their uh, price gouging in terms of medications, <clears throat> and we're seeing how expensive insulin is. And of course, our country, we're very sick. You know, we lead the world in diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, you name it, particularly in, within the African-American community. And so we're impacted by these costs, even if they're supposedly subsidized by the government, because <clears throat> that's what's happening with these COVID inoculations. We're not paying out of pocket because the government's paying for it. That was the deal. And so we don't, we don't make that connection. We don't see the relationships. It's not all about money. There's a more nefarious agenda here. It's about government overreach. It's about uh, some call it technocracy. Uh, where these billionaires, these unelected oligarchs <clears throat> want to control the world, want to control all the resources. And we're going to see a lot of this play out in the not too distant future. It's just like what happened in the Great Depression <clears throat> and even some of the other depressions prior to the depression in 29. What happens is, is the people don't have access to resources. If you Luckily enough to have any relatives who were alive during the Great Depression, when you talk to them, they say there was no money. They didn't have any money. We had raw materials. We had resources, but there was no money. What happened was the banks withheld the money. And money and credit are what drive capitalism. Without the money and without the credit, capitalism came to a grinding halt. And the same people who withheld the money and withheld the credit were able to go in and gobble up farms, factories, homes, businesses on pennies on the dollar. And you're going to see that happening in this cycle, meaning the people who didn't pay their mortgages or didn't pay their rent, they got a break, but now the moratorium is over. So now they're going to be expected to pay thousands of dollars in, in rent. And a lot of them don't have it. So they're going to be kicked out. They're going to be homeless. The homeowners are the people that own the properties. If they had mortgages that they weren't able to pay, they're going to be facing a rise in their mortgage prices. They're backed up. If they can't renegotiate, they're going to lose their properties through default and acquisition. Who has the resources, the money to acquire these properties? It's the big banks. It's the hedge funds. It's the insurance companies. Those are the people who have the money. And that's what we're going to see. But of course, the media is not going to talk about it because the media is part of it. The media is owned by the very people who own these companies or at least have the major stocks and interest in these, these six corporations that control almost all the media in the United States and much of the world. So it's very easy to formulate not only policy because they have the politicians in their, their pocket because they're the ones who pay the bribes or the, the campaign funds. Most of us don't contribute or if we do, we, we contribute on a very minimal level. We can't meet or beat the so-called dark money or the other money that comes in to the politicians' coffers. Just like so, if you don't go along with the program, they, they just turn off the spigot 
for your funds and they find someone to run against you and they fund them at an appropriate level so that they can beat you because you can't run on a national level unless you have money for campaign staff and uh, media and uh, travel things like that and if you don't have the money you just can't do it or unless you want to if you're super rich like Bloomberg and you do it on your own take it out of your own pocket because he's a billionaire remember a billion is a thousand million and so this is what we're up against and all you can do is to try to maintain your sanity because it's going to be get, getting more tense. You're going to see more and more divisiveness because that's part of their thing, divide and rule, to keep us at each other's throats. Using made-up issues and or exacerbating situations that occur or differences of opinion or ideology to keep it going. Oftentimes, they are the creators and supporters of these various ideologies for example i'll give you an example the tea party was a spontaneous reaction to what was going on and they started mobilizing and they started getting involved politically the oligarchs saw this so people like the Koch brothers started funneling money into <clears throat> these tea party organizations they brought it all on the one umbrella and they set up their leaders, their bought and paid for leaders, Glenn Beck and Sarah Palin, to hijack the movement. So where's the Tea Party today? It's pretty ineffective. It's pretty non-consequential. And that's what you do. That's how you override your opposition. Uh, you know, create fake opposition or you infiltrate it and then destroy it from within. It diffuses power. That's what they tried to do with uh, the labor union. That's That was the gist of my piece. You Last week, we celebrated Labor Day that at one time was a major holiday. Now, it's just a whimper thing. It's just a day off. There's nothing about uh, organized labor. <clears throat> and people like to uh, say it's the Republicans that destroyed the unions. They like to say it was people like the Rockefellers who waged war against the unions and organized labor through <clears throat> their the railroads that he was he was connected with because he used the railroads to transport his oil and his his mining interests and other things but it was also the democrats bill clinton and al gore moved the democratic party significantly to the right or as they say toward the center they sold out the organized labor and the civil rights and and some of the other movements and entities that were normally supporters of the democratic party in order to get corporatist funding recognition and entree to those corporate boardrooms where the money and the, and the real decisions are made. And it's been like that since then. So what you have basically is what's called a duopoly. It's two sides of the same coin. It's just that <clears throat> there's certain issues that one side favors more over another. So for the most part, say you have the Republicans are more libertarian on some levels and more laissez-faire economics except when it comes to government subsidies they they don't mind that they they'll use the government to get benefits and subsidies to help them survive but they don't want you to have anything they don't want you to have social security they don't want you to have welfare they don't want you to have a hand up and the democrats are 
pretty much uh, like that. They put more money into the military industrial complex. They put more money into social welfare, not so much to benefit us, but they siphon off the money and the money to run these programs supposedly or ostensibly go to their buddies. And so very little of the funds or very little of the benefits or very little of the supposed intent for these programs impacts the people on the ground. And so that's what we see. We're seeing bombed out cities. We're seeing the Rust Belt. We're seeing the globalization, the offshoring of jobs and manufacturing that basically happened in the 80s. And you have people who tap into the populist uh, angst and promise that they're going to bring jobs and factories back. That was something that Trump you know, trick the people into believing that, oh, yes, I'm going to bring jobs and we're going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the jobs president. I'm going to bring these factories back. That's not going to happen because capitalism depends on investment and capital. And for the most part, even with the hollowing out of the labor unions, both the public workers and the private sector, it's still cheaper to build a factory in China, Malaysia, India, uh, even now they're they're going to Vietnam than it is to build a factory here, even though you have a right to work laws and you don't have the unions. You're going to pay people next to nothing in Haiti, but you'd forced to pay them a quote unquote, a decent wage in the United States. And that's not going to happen. So don't even believe that. That's just garbage because we don't have capital. We, we're not, not able to leverage the assets we have. We don't know how to do it, even if we could. And so that's how they keep us down. That's how they keep us in poverty. Uh, notice that the inflation is going up. That's because of all the, they call it qualitative easing. It's nothing more than printing money. It's more and more money in circulation. The more money in circulation, the lower the value of the currency. The lower the value of the currency, the more money in circulation means that the cost of things go up. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a steady rise of inflation. The media keeps it down. They don't talk about it. So they don't, you know, we're not alarmed. We're not up in arms. We're not really taught what's really going on. We're told that, you know, oh, it's the cost of living. It's things are going up. No, it's, it's a result of the debasement of the, of the money, the currency. And that's going to continue. And you you also have this, this whole thing with the Bitcoins and the cryptocurrency and it remains to be seen how that's going to play out and impact uh, the the overall economy. Because keep in mind, the things that make the Western economy go is capitalism. The capital class, the investor class, they control the banks. They control the insurance company. They control the financial sector, which is nothing more nowadays than a casino. They control the, inv- uh, the um, hedge funds. And cryptocurrency is a more democratic form of currency dealing and trading and supply chains but knowing the oligarchy they want monopoly that's their goal and john rockefeller said that competition is a sin and that was his mindset he was strictly about monopoly capitalism and that's something that we're not taught because we're we're taught and our education system was pretty much shaped by them to work for them to keep say the southern and a lot of the midwest the southeast people ignorant and not having education because back then the economy was based on agrarian agriculture or you know mining things like that so they didn't want you going to school all year long you had to go when you weren't planting or harvesting the crops so that that was the basis of the education system then they 
took some various things from Dewey and they took some things from the Prussian system and they took some other things and they formed a, a unique American system because we have a lot of immigrants so they had to find some common values, a common history, some myths and mythology to bind the people together. And the interesting thing now is that that's being torn asunder with all this uh, identity politics and the whole divide and rule thing that's going on now. My advice and my admonition is to fear not, don't be afraid. Those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. You have within you genius. You have within you brilliance. You have within you a life force that will sustain you. You have within you something that has always been here. There's never been a time that it didn't exist. It is the driving force in us. And it is all wise, all knowing, and is all powerful in the sense that life is an energy. Life is a force. And We need to appreciate it, be thankful for it, and live our lives in such a way that we're in harmony with it and we're not working against it or we're not short-circuiting it or we're not denigrating it in any way. So until next time, this is Junius Ricardo Stanton encouraging you to engage in mental decolonization. Free your mind. The rest will follow. Till next time, stay strong, stay well, and stay safe. Peace. (laughs) 